children can be dismissed for children's church. The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. As we look at walking in wisdom this morning. This is kind of the, the culmination, if you will, of this, this part of Ephesians about the lifestyle we live as Christians. And if I was to ask you a question like, where do you gain your, your skills at? How do you improve your skills? What would you say? Maybe you would immediately think of Iowa State University, right? Like, okay, you go to the university, you learn skills, and that helps you. Maybe you would think, well, there's this work conference where this is where they, we get some ideas about how to hone our skills. Or maybe you're thinking, well, I just go into my workshop, and I work at my work, and I hopefully hone my skill in the workshop. How do you live skillfully? Because when we're talking about wisdom, that's what we're talking about. How to live skillfully in God's world. How to, how to, how to think through life and to work through life from the perspective of the fact that He rules this world and I'm living skillfully in it. That's what wisdom is. And for the most part, as you look at the Bible and you say, where do we find the skills for life? Those primarily come through stories. It's not that we don't have Proverbs and we don't have Psalms and we don't have these ideas about life, but, but primarily the stories we tell ourselves help us in God's world, to relate to, to God in a, in, in a skillful way. That's why as you start off the Bible, it's primarily not, okay, here's theology 101, God exists, you know. He exists in three persons. He exists in, in these, and, and you start like just building this systematic theology of of the Bible, it's primarily in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it starts to tell a story. Like, this is where you came from. This is where things are headed. This is what's going on, right? We, we know this even in our own culture because a lot of times it seems like we go to, to stories in the form of movies to learn about life, right? Like, we, we watch those movies and, and we think about life and we consider the, 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 the issues of life and we hopefully gain skill by watching somebody else mess up, right? Or we just realize we repeat the same mistakes they do. <laughs> why, why is this true? Because we are human beings who have a sense of time, have a sense of history, and have a sense of destiny, of future. And the, the place where these all meet, in a sense, is story. Story is this, is this area where our desires that are unmet crash into harsh reality, often harsh at least. And we're trying to put the two together in a way that makes sense. And so we tell stories. Because those stories are, are, are a way of us talking about the desires that we have and how to meet those desires and how to live skillfully to meet those desires. Even Salman Rushdie, uh, an acclaimed atheist, 
put it this way as he talks about religion and the story of religion, okay? He says, it is a, I've got it up here. I've got, if I'm going to read it, I can also have it up here and you can read it with me. This is his, his quote, okay? It is important that we understand how profoundly we all felt the needs that religion down the ages has satisfied. I would suggest that these needs are of three types. Firstly, the need to give an articulation of our half-glimpsed knowledge of exaltation, of awe, of wonder. Life is an awesome experience, and religion helps us understand why life so often helps, makes us feel small by telling us, that we are, by telling us what we are smaller than. We live in this big world. How do you explain it? What do you do? Well, religion has a story to explain it. Solomon Rushdie is going to say that that story is false as an atheist, right? But he's at least acknowledging that this is a part of, of what's going on. And contrary-wise, because we have a sense of being special, of being chosen, even though we feel small in the story, religion helps us by telling us what we've been chosen by and what for. Secondly, we need an answer to the unanswerable. How did we get here? How did here get here in the first place? Is this, this brief life, all there is? How can it be? What would be the point of that? And thirdly, we need codes to live by, rules for every single thing. The idea of God is at once a repository for our struck wonderment of life and an answer to that great questions of existence and a rule book too. The soul needs all these explanations, not simply rational explanations, but explanations of the heart. He's saying, and he goes on to say with that quote, he says, it is also important to understand how often the language of secular rationalist materialism, which is the, the language that he would subscribe to as an atheist, has failed to answer these needs. He's saying, you look around you and you say, okay, okay, if I'm going to be an atheist, what do I need to believe in? What's the story I'm living in? Well, it's often a story of, well, you just got to accept that there's no afterlife, there's no, real, there's no real hope of justice in the world, because probably this world's going to end in a, you know, not, not in some cataclysmic explosion, just in there's no more energy left. It's all distributed out, right? And so we just all end up cold and dead. And what does it matter then how we live? If there's no end to the story beyond just we're all dead— then what does it matter that what happens in the middle of the story, right? And if you, even if you believe that technology is going to help us get better and better, but what's that end to? What, what's, where's the end of the story going? What, what, what does it mean for me personally as an individual? The stories we tell ourselves help us to walk in wisdom is the point. Because either you believe that Christ died and rose again, and we're all going to stand before him and, and answer for how we lived our lives, and whether we trusted in Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf, and live in light of that, or you're living from some other story, frankly. And the way that you live shows the wisdom that you have. So Paul here has led up to this point. He said, walk in love. Understand what true love is. Love is found in the person of God giving his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for our sins. That is true love. Let's not, let's not water it down. Let's not make it less than it is. This is true love. But to understand that kind of love and to walk in that love, you have to walk in light. You have to realize that there's truth and there's lies. 
And you have to walk in the light and expose the darkness by refusing to participate in things that aren't true loves, that aren't the kind of love that furthers the story of what God did for us. And to do both of those well, you've got to walk in wisdom. You've got to do it skillfully. It's not just about holding up these ideals of truth and these ideals of love and saying, look, keep to these ideals, hold these ideals. You've got to meld these ideals into an imperfect reality in a fallen world. And that takes skill. And here Paul is saying, from a big picture perspective, what are you doing in this life? You're seeking to walk in wisdom, to walk with skill. Notice what he says here in verse 15 of chapter 5. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here, first of all, he says that we need to carefully pursue our purpose and our opportunities. Notice what he says again. Look carefully then how you walk. This idea of Carefully is the idea of notice the details. Pay attention to, to, to all of your life. Not from the stand, again, not from the standpoint of an idealism of I've got to get everything perfect, but from an understanding that this affects all of my life. Everything I do, the way I think, the what, things I pursue, the things I, how I handle life. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but is wise. Saying you've got two choices here. You can either know that you have the love of God and seek to walk in the love of God in, in the light of God, but doing it in, in foolish ways, or you can do it in wise ways, skillful ways. And here he says the, the skillful way of doing that is, say, here's translated, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. It's just acknowledging that we live in a fallen, broken world that's not, that's not necessarily getting better and better, although certain things definitely help us. Technology helps us in various ways. But overall, the time is headed for destruction. Evil things happen in our world. People do evil things. How then, he says, making the best use of the time. Some of your translations might say redeeming the time, because this is another word for redemption. It's a different word than the word that was used in Ephesians chapter 1, where it says that we've been redeemed through his blood. That word emphasizes that ransom, that, that buying out of. This word emphasizes the, more the buying, the, the investing part of it. Like, okay, Make, and, that's, and that's where the making the best use of the time translation is a good translation. Because he's saying, what are you investing in? What are you using your time for? Carefully pursuing your purpose and opportunities skillfully with wisdom. You can put it in a different perspective. What is sin? 
Sin, therefore, in some ways is unskillful living, right? Living in unskilled ways, but it also ties in the idea of disloyal ways as well, right? It's not just that you're unskilled, that's be foolish, but also disloyal. And so the problem is, is that foolishness often hides the disloyalty that we have. Does that make sense? Like, we, we, we put up this, well, I just did, I was unskilled in how I lived here. But, but underneath it, the reason could be because you're disloyal to the people that you need to be loyal to, to God, to others. And sin says, well, I just, I just want to do my own thing and go my own way. But you're not loyal to the people who you need to honor. Uh, loyal to the people who love you. And so sin, in that sense, is unskillful living that is driven by disloyalty. And here he's saying we need to live skillfully with loyalty in God's world, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Saying, you know the story. You know that Christ died and rose again and that everything is headed for his rule and reign. So how are you going to redeem the time, make the best use of the time, live in skillful ways? Which then begs the question, so what is success, right? What is success in this life? We live in a time when fighting injustice and being outraged over injustices is very present in our world. And this, in a sense, is not bad, right? There is injustice in the world. We wish it would stop, and we wish we could do what we can to stop it. The, the problem, partially, is we, we live in a world where that has limitless ability to tell you all the injustices that are happening. I mean, how many injustice did you, injustices did you hear about this week, right? I mean, if you're still following the war with Ukraine, the, the shooting that happened in, in Chicago this week, right? And then those people said, well, there's been a lot of shootings in Chicago that don't even get mentioned on the news, right? And then you, you have, maybe you had some personal injustices that happened this week to you personally. Like, like, if you're going to fight injustice, like, it just seems overwhelming, right? All the, the difficult and evil things that are happening, what are you supposed to do with all these things? Just simply be outraged? That's, that becomes ultimately an exercise in futility, not skill. So what are we supposed to do? What, is, what does success look like? Obviously, the world says success looks like getting a bunch of stuff, right? The man with the most toys wins. And yet we know that that's a lie. Living a good life, doing good with your life. But what, again, define good. What, what does good look like? Is it just simply, well, I, I didn't do anything too terribly bad. I, I raised my kids. They're doing okay. I, uh, I, 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 was a good citizen, I tried to do some good for the people around me. Like, like uh, what does skillful living look like? Here he's saying, make the best use of the opportunities. Now this word for opportunity is the word for time, but there's two different Greek words for time, okay? One word means chronological time. That is like a clock, you know, tick, 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 tick. Like, and it's, if, you, if, if you use that word, the sense would be make the best use of every second, you know, but that's not the word he uses. 
the other word in Greek for this time is the, is the word that we use, opportunities for. It's the idea of there are, there are some, there's some things that come to you in time, that in, in the seconds of time, that are actual opportunities. You can actually do something with the time. You can make, make a change or, 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 or do something good or, or have something great happen. And that's this word. And he's just acknowledging in that sense that most of our lives are filled with the mundane. We get up, we have, we have to eat, we have to take care of our stuff, we have to do our jobs. And in the midst of all of that, of those time-filled things, there are opportunities to focus on God's grace, to see his goodness and to spread his love. And that's not every second, but there are opportunities that arise that you need to seize. We all notice and, and, and find times when we, like, I missed the opportunity, right? Like, I had the opportunity and I missed it. And he's saying here we need to seize the opportunities to make the best use of the time that we have. And to do that means that we need to live skillfully. I think part of what he's saying here, just, just in brief before we get into it in, in more detail, is just an acknowledgement that a lot of times the way that we live right now is we, we, we're trained, I, I've been thinking about this from two different perspectives, like when I, when I was growing up in the 90s, that's Jason right there, right? Some of you would say when I was growing up in the 70s, and that would date you too, so just we're all, we're all on the same boat here, we're in a story, Right? When I was growing up in the 90s, the, the, big, the, like the, the big time management work book was called First Things First, right? It was a good book, because, but it, it, was, it was basically saying, hey, a lot of the things you're pursuing uh, are good, but they're not, they're not wise, they're not skillful in what you need to pursue. You need to pursue the things that really matter in life. Don't just be like, well, I can, I can get this job over here and it pays me more, so I need to jump to that job. You need to think about what truly matters in life rather than just your paycheck and think about the things that really matter. But recently I was reading a book called Indistractable, okay? And the focus of that book was there's a lot of different things that can pull you in different directions. How do you, how do you not let those things happen? Why? Because we live in a world now that's a little bit more distractible, right, than it was in the 90s. We didn't have, you know, just to date myself, we didn't have cell phones with screens in the 90s, okay? You just didn't, I mean, you could text, but it was, I never learned how to text that way, like where you could punch the buttons and like teenage girls supposedly could, could text faster than most men could type on a, on a, on a, on a nine-button phone, you know what I mean? Because they could do it. Now, now we pull them out and we, can, we actually have that keyboard on the screen and we can type and it's like normal with our thumbs, supposedly, for those of you who have thin thumbs. And don't hit the wrong keys, right? And not only that, but you can pull your phone out at any time and, and switch from whatever you're focusing on. Like some of you are focusing on the Bible right now on your phones, but it's not too easy to switch to something else on your phone, right? So parents, look at all your kids' phones right now and make sure they're on the right spot. No, just kidding. But the, the, the point is, is that we're distractible. We have a lot of things that, that pull us in different directions, and we need to learn how to, to focus in and say, how do I live skillfully in this moment? Not, not pulled in so many different directions that my attention is being pulled toward. And so 
we live in a world that's always kind of saying, here's your goals. How do you just look up? And every, everybody faces this at some point where like, well, is my goal even worth it? Am I doing what I, am I living skillfully or not? And we pick our head up for a second and we look around and a lot of times what we do is just put our head back down and say, I need to work harder. I need to work harder. And sometimes that may be true. But living skillfully takes a step back from just working harder and considers what best do I do? How do I make the most of the opportunities? Not how can I use every second to be productive, but how do I set myself up so that when I find those opportunities, I use them well? That's really the question that you need to ask yourself. How do I set myself up in the mundane of life so that when those opportunities come to me to share love, to share grace, to point people to Christ, to, to encourage people along the right path, how, how do I set myself up well to do that? And Paul here gives you two patterns for how to do this. He says, avoid foolishness and seek God's will. That's one pattern. And the other one is, don't get drunk but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. These are two patterns of the mundane that we need to practice so that we seize the opportunities that we have. Why? Because we all live, live in seasons of, grit, of life. We live in different seasons, different things that are happening. And the question is, can we recognize the season? And in a sense, can we, do we understand the story that we're living in? Are we self-aware enough to realize the story we're living in? So, for, for instance, for me, uh, like I mentioned, we went to the Boundary Waters on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, what, part of the story is that I've been to Boundary Waters before, and it didn't always go well, right? <laughs> we dumped in the first week in October in a big lake and, you know, almost got hypothermia, right, a couple of us. And, and so there's a, a fear there of what happens when wind comes up, what happens, how can I handle the difficulties of life as they come up. But I've been on vacation before, and, and, uh, and I've also had car problems, right? Like, I, I, I know that there's car problems that happen, and like, how do you handle things that just come up that you can just so in this particular story, two things. One, I was obviously afraid of wind popping up, and wind came up. And I had to set myself to be like, you know what? I can trust the God of wind and waves and still push through, right? I, I can say, God, I, I can be careful. I don't have to just push through in the sense of, okay, I'm just going to just foolishly drive in the lake and just trust God that he's not going to push my boat over, Right? But, okay, maybe take a break right now. This is a little too windy. Take a break, but then go later. That's what we did. On our way home after the Boundary Waters, um, we were driving home, and I was just noticing that there was this noise that I didn't quite, it wasn't normal. You know what that's like as a driver, right? There's a noise that's not normal, and you're like, where is that? Where's that coming from? And, and I'm driving along, and, man, it's, it's getting a little worse. And I'm getting, like, hmm, I need to check something. Like, I don't, I don't want to. So, 
It was a noise, though, that over time I recognized again. I'm like, I've heard this noise before. You know what I mean? This noise happened when, when I was driving in the, the Black Hills of South Dakota and, and my tire fell off because my lug nuts were loose. And I was like, I, I should chuck my lug nuts. You know what I mean? You know, and, it, and again, because, because I've gained a little skill in life, through the mistakes that I've made, I had brought with me the tools to tighten my lug nuts. So I get out. I'm like, Amy, I think there's a problem. I'm just going to pull over and check. She's like, fine. I was like, do that. <laughs> like, we don't want to repeat anything else, right? So I pull over, I check, and yes, one of the tires was, the lug nuts were loose. I could, like, they were hand loose. Like, I could spin them with my hand, which is a bad thing, right, when you're driving down the road. And, and so I... I grabbed the tools because I had brought the tools and I tightened them up. And what's, what's funny in Minnesota is I pull off to the side of the road. They can, drivers can drive by and notice I'm working on something. In Minnesota, what happens is in, in the five minutes that it took to fix it, I had three people stop and like, do you need some help? Like, hey, like one guy, the last guy pulled up. He's like, hey, do you need a, an air pressure thing? Because he thought my tire was low. He's like, you need to refill your air with an uh, air tank, you know, for air pressure. And I was like, no, I said, it was just my lug nuts. I, I, I noticed they were loose, and I I'm just got to tighten them back up. He's like, oh, okay, good catch. I was like, I win in Minnesota. That's what my reaction. He's like, hey, if they notice that I do something good in Minnesota, I'm doing something good here, right? So, uh, so, I, so I tightened my lug nuts up and went on. The point is, in God's grace in my life, I've had some difficult things happen, some bad things happen, but... He's taught me to, one, think ahead, two, to plan ahead a little bit, and to be like, okay, when, when something is going wrong, don't just push through, but stop and consider and say, okay, what do I need to do to fix this? That's living skillfully in the different seasons of life. And, and the problem is, is that I can think that I'm smart enough to outthink all the problems in the world, but wisdom realizes you're not. This is God's world. There's more problems than you can ever think of that will arise. Wisdom says, how do I live skillfully? How do I walk in wisdom? And so here, it's, it's kind of like, another comparison I would make here is to like sports seasons, right? My, my son gets, he, he loves soccer, I love soccer too, but there's, there's a pattern to a season of sports. At the beginning of the season, you're trying to improve your skills. You're, you're focusing on maybe you're getting in shape, the skill of being in shape no matter what's going on. You also might be focusing on, like with soccer, you're focusing on your foot skills and your head skills. Like, can you make sure that you're not just focused on the ball, but you're unaware of the people around you and so you can live in the moment because you know where you need to go. Not, but you also, you're fo focused on your foot skill, like, okay, what do I do with the ball when I get it? And you work on those skills at the beginning of the season to improve where you're at. You're never perfect, but you just want to move yourself forward in those skills. But once the season starts, it's, it's a lot about just, okay, what are the, how, do, how do I maintain those skills and use those skills to win? Because by the end of the season, the, ski season, the skill you need at the end of the season is just endurance. You, you, like you're, you're tired and you, you, you don't want to keep going. 
you want to slack off, right? You, you want, you're like, I wish I could improve the skill I have, but really what it's going to take is you taking a break for a while and focusing again on just skills before you re-enter the season. And understanding the seasons of life means understanding where you're at. What do I need to do here skillfully? How do I appropriate the grace right now? Sometimes you're in the season of building some skills. Sometimes you're in the season of using the skills you have. Sometimes you're in the season of persevering (laughs) in using those skills. And sometimes you're in the, I need to take a break and come back and, and just take a break for a while. Most of us consider that summer in Iowa. Let's go on vacation, right? But it's not, vacation is not just taking a break. Think about your life. Where are you at? Just for a moment here. What season of life are you in? In the wisdom of grace. Maybe you're in the season of enduring. Maybe you're in the season of, I need to take a break and learn some skills. Refresh. Maybe you're in the season of, hey, I've got some opportunities and I need to use them. Again, wisdom says, how do I seize the opportunities I have and, and use them to, to, to love others and to do good where I'm at? So what are the two things Paul says to help set you up to do that? The first one is avoiding foolishness and understanding God's will. He's saying, in the mundane of life, here's what you can do on a day-to-day basis to set yourself up to seize the opportunities when they come. Don't be foolish. (laughs) Don't be foolish, okay? Foolishness is living not skillfully in a way that recognizes God's rule in your life. Foolishness is living without self-awareness or focused purpose. It's saying, I don't care about the consequences to my actions on a day-to-day basis. I can just live like, you know, a soccer player that just says, hey, I don't have to think about where I'm out on the field or how I'm going to use the ball. I'll just wait till the ball comes to me, and then I'll think about it. No, you can't do that in soccer. You can't do that in any sport, frankly. Don't av- you have to avoid foolishness. You have to think about what are the consequences to my actions on a day-to-day basis? Where, where am I headed? What am I doing But foolishness says, it doesn't matter. I can live without self-awareness. I can live without focused purpose. It's the idea that it buys into certain lies. Foolishness buys into certain lies, right? Like the grass is greener on the other side, right? Like, oh, there could be opportunities out there that are better than the ones I have now. No, it's true. Wisdom says that there are opportunities that come up that you might need to change. But foolishness is not aware of that desire to just be like, well, I just want something better. I just want something new. I want something fresh. I want something where, where I think I, I'm going to be better off. No, you're self-aware enough to be like, okay, I've got this desire, but is it wise? Do I act on it? Let's look at the full picture, right? Or the idea of bigger is better. Like, oh, just uh, like if something is bigger, then it's better. Again, who says it's better? More money is better? Just because you make 100000 more in one job than another, does that make it better for you, for your family, for your relationships? Now, it's true. Sometimes you can have more impact. You have more income. So wisdom, again, it recognizes the truth that, there can, you, that you can find some better opportunities, some bigger opportunities, but it also balances it out. 
It says, let's consider the consequences, not just for one narrow aspect of my life, but for the big picture. Again, foolishness says, trust your heart. You know, just do what feels good, right? Trust that you, that you know what's best for you. Wisdom, Proverbs, right, says, in a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. When people can see you in ways that you can't see yourself, it's wise to ask for advice. I had something happen last week, and I texted three guys, and I was like, hey, what do you think about this, you know? Why? Because I needed some wisdom. I needed to see outside of my own perspective. So you need to avoid foolishness. On a day-to-day basis, you can ask yourself the question, am I avoiding foolishness? Am I, am I thinking about life and considering the consequences of it? And obviously the positive side is understanding God's will. The idea here is just, is just that you're considering the fact that you're living in God's world and saying on a day-to-day basis, how can I pursue doing what God wants? Now here's a couple of verses that talk about God's will. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a common one. It's a helpful one. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's that idea of loyalty again. Who are you loyal to and what you're doing? He's saying, are you loyal to the God who showed you mercy? Are you giving your life to him? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. What he's acknowledging here is, it's not just, well, I read a verse of scripture, and then I say, okay, this is what it says to do, I'll go do it. it, it he's saying, you've got you've to think it through, you've got to see, okay, is this good? Do I understand it? I, do, I haven't just read the text on the page, but I've considered my life my abilities, my, my understanding of what I need to do so that I can prove, I can discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Because that is what God wants me to do, things that are good, pleasing to Him, and complete in a full picture of what God wants me to do. Here's another verse. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is in, not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. He's saying, where are your desires at? Are they filled up with the flesh, the, the eyes, pride of life? Be honest with yourself. Or are you seeking to do God's will, whatever that might mean? Where are you really at? Of course, practically in the New Testament, this is repeated several times in several places, even in this passage, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Are you pursuing gratitude? That is definitely God's will for you. (laughs) Avoiding foolishness and understanding God's will. You're pursuing it. This this means means various things. Big picture, he's saying, success in life means treating the people that you, that matter to you well. Love people well. You want to be successful, skillful in life, learn how to treat people well. To love God and others. But that also means, because we are limited people, that we understand our limits. Like, if you're going to understand God's will, it also means that he knows that you're limited. Like, sometimes you're sick. 
Sometimes you have low energy. Sometimes you just need a break. That's okay. It's not like, well, okay, God wants me to love people, and there's an opportunity over here to love people, so I'm just, I've got to do it. No, if you've got limits. You've got limits to energy. You've got limits to time. You've got limits to Im- impact. Your, your death is a limit in itself, right? You're going to die at some point if Christ doesn't return. A Christian wisely thinks about those limits and considers, like, what am I supposed to do with my time and my energy, right? Psalm 90, Moses, what did he say? He said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. Like, we understand we're not going to live forever. What do I need to do with my time now and the limits I have? Wisdom also says God's will means that I'm diligent in growth. I'm thinking about how do I grow? How do I persevere? How do I live in hope? Wisdom understands that things grow slowly. That healthy things grow over time. They don't just appear overnight because they'll usually vanish overnight. Wisdom understands that I need to trust but verify that I need to live in the tension of these things. It's like the best illustration I've ever heard is just dancing, okay? When you're dancing with someone, you, you're both moving together, but you have to stay in balance, listening to each other, following each other, working together to accomplish something. And, and in life, what you're doing is you're living in these tensions, skillful living in tension, right? How do I both understand that I'm going to die and yet live as, as if right now is important? Well, that's living intention. It's the skillful negotiation of, I've got 90, 100 years, hopefully. What do I do with those years? Right now, how do I set myself up? That's how I need to avoid foolishness, but seek to do God's will on a daily basis. And most of the time, what, what God's will on a daily basis is, is eat healthy, Go to work, you know, for an adult anyway. If it's your kid, eat healthy, go to school, learn some things, come home, obey your parents, okay? That's, that's skillful living, okay? For an adult, it's, you know, it's eat healthy, go to work, come home, love the people in your life. Don't stay up too late. Because you'll wear yourself out. Skillful living on a daily basis, Right? It's, it's not too hard. Why? Because let's just take the don't stay up too late, right? If you, we know this as adults, but we don't like to face it all the time. If you stay up too late, then the next day you're like groggy and half, the, half awake, right? I mean, you got you to gotta have a certain amount of sleep. Why? Because you got things to do the next day. You can't just live all in one day. And you have to, you have to think about these things and just live in the limits of one day at a time. Why? Because that's just part of wisdom. Living skillfully. So the question you can ask yourself is, what am I seeking to be loyal to right now and how? What skills in doing good am I trying to hone in my limits, my diligence, or my trust? What skills in doing good am I trying to hone in my limits? I'm just understanding my limits and I'm trying to develop my skills in living in those. I'm, I'm, I understand I need to be diligent in building things slowly. How do, how do I d- develop, what skills am I trying to hone in that? How am I seeking to trust God with my time and my life? 
What skills are involved that I need to hone? And again, what season am I in? And maybe big picture, how can I tell my story about God's grace right now? How can I tell my story about God's grace right now? You know, that vacation story for me was a, a time of God saying, hey, you've learned from your mistakes a little bit. Let's be, you could take some heart from that. You can remember that I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm seeking to help you learn along the way here. This is good. What's the story of God's grace in your life? Can you tell one? If you, if you can't, it, it might be because you're not thinking about living skillfully in God's grace. Another way of thinking this, besides avoiding foolishness and pursuing God's will, is to avoid shortcuts to joy and by being filled with the Spirit. And I don't have time to go into this one. I, I knew this, I was, I was going to run out of time. So I just want to give you a big picture. Where next week we'll look at how to live in the Spirit. But big picture, what is he saying here? He says, don't, don't be drunk. So, sorry, I'm going to read it. Um, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This word for debauchery is the idea of chaotic living. It's not, there's another word in Greek for sensual living, that is giving into what, what, what feels good or what you senses tell you is good. This is the word for chaotic living. Rather than the slow growth idea of, of wisdom saying, how do I build something and, and nurture something so that it's healthy and, and good? This is the word for chaotic living. Like, I'm just going to do wh whatever is good in the moment to me, and I'm not going to think about the future. And, I, and he's saying, in a sense, this is what alcohol is. I, I debated whether I to say, by avoiding shortcuts to joy and being filled with the Spirit, or by avoiding external controls to pain. Because alcohol in that sense is both a, a, a seeking of joy but it's also a way of doling pain okay and both of those are true but the, the primary one in context is the idea of joy because it goes on and talks about being filled with the spirit and it's all about joy rather than pain but we understand that when we're seeking joy we're trying to avoid pain at the same time right there, there, there are two different sides to the same story here he's saying in a sense there are things that are, that are shortcuts to joy that where you can say rather than building joy slowly, that sense of I'm doing good and I've brought that good to completion, you're instead saying I'm just going to skip to where I feel good. And he's saying here, alcohol is dangerous. Proverbs, if you read through Proverbs, the majority of references to alcohol are about the danger of alcohol, not the goodness of alcohol. In fact, Oh, the primary use of alcohol is in Proverbs 31, where it says, give strong drink to those who are perishing, to those who are sorrowing in heart. So there's a, a medicinal use to things like that. We talk about self-medication, right? And there is a place for that kind of medication aspect to it. But if you use alcohol as a shortcut to joy, rather than it, you controlling it, it controls you, and that's the main point in Scripture. You end up controlled by it rather than the other way around. And Paul is saying here, in your pursuit of joy, don't substitute other controls for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Let the Holy Spirit live in you. Let Him control you. Let Him work His life in you. Because we have been given the Holy Spirit as a, as a down payment on our eternal life, right? Ephesians chapter 1. The Holy Spirit is here to set our hearts on Christ and who Christ is and the joy and satisfaction we have in Christ. 
he's in a sense, he's saying, do what you were created for. Being filled with the Spirit is that sense of, he's been given to you, you've been saved to something. Ephesians 2 tells us the two things that we're saved to. Being a dwelling place for God, and to dwell with people that are different than us in a way that honors God, right? There's two different things in Ephesians chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us do those things. But the big picture here is he's saying, is what joy are you pursuing? On a day-to-day basis, if you want to walk in wisdom and set yourself up to seize opportunities, you have to know what joys you're pursuing. What, what really gives you joy and what are you going after? And he's saying here, the best thing you can do is to be filled with the Spirit, to, to, as he says, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord, to have that sense of joy in what God is doing in you and through you, and that you're, you're, you're on this path, you're in this story, in that sense, right? You're in this story where God is making all things new, and he's, he's making you a dwelling place where he can dwell with you and walk with you. And this is who you are in Christ. This is the joy that you have of knowing God. And if you're here and you don't know God, it comes through Jesus Christ. Christ died and rose again to give us eternal life. And the only way that we can get that is not by going to church. It's not by the, the, the things we do or the, the, the good, how much good we can accomplish or you know, how much money we can give or any of those things. It's simply a free gift, right? Romans 6.23 for it says, For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The grace is grace. You live in grace. You walk in grace. And the, yes, you need to avoid foolishness and understand what the will of the Lord is, but you need to, you need to walk in grace. You need to live in the fact that the Holy Spirit is working in you and rest in that fact and rejoice in that fact on a day-to-day basis It's not about how much you can get done. It's not about what you can accomplish. It's not about how much money you can earn. Walking in wisdom with skill in life means just rejoicing in the fact that you know God and you get to walk with Him. That He can take you on the ups and the downs, through through the dirty mud and through the high hills. He can take you through life because He is with you. This is what walking with wisdom looks like. And so, are you living with skill? As the Holy Spirit was w- working in me and is preparing this message, I was like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of foolish in a couple areas. I'm not living with skill like I need to. And I had to confess some things to God. What about you? Are you walking in wisdom? Are you avoiding foolishness? Maybe there's something the Holy Spirit is telling you right now. Hey, you're, you're being foolish here and you need to quit. <laughs> Will you do it? What joys are you pursuing? Are you self-aware enough about your desires? That you're like, I, I know why I'm pursuing this. I know what joys I'm looking forward to. Again, I go back to Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. My prayer for you is that you might know the length and breadth and depth and height 
of God's love, Christ's love, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And how you do that on a daily basis is that you realize, I've got to walk in wisdom. I've got to live with skill. And that means that I need to avoid foolishness and pursue God's will. I need to avoid being controlled by other things and let the Holy Spirit control me. Imagine if we were all living this way. And when we got together, we told stories not about the Cyclones winning or losing. Not about the fish that got away. But in the midst of telling the stories about the fish that got away or the Cyclones winning or losing, we're talking about God's grace. We're like, this is how I see God's grace working in my life. This is what I'm rejoicing in. This is what I'm grateful for. Imagine if the stories we told were, were echoes of the grace of God in our lives. Where we're just constantly going back and saying, oh, look at what God's doing. Look at his grace. Look at how it's working in my life. Imagine the impact that would have. Because that's what Paul is saying. He says, speak the truth in love. And as you do that, the body is built up. Its muscles are strengthened, its connections are firm, and the body is walking in the spirits, living in the spirits, and reflecting the glory of Jesus. The big story in history is that God made us, and we rejected him. We said, we can figure life out on our own, we can do life without God, I can, I can do life and just have what I want out of life. And that ended in death. All of us died. But God didn't let it stay there. He sent Jesus to live amongst us, to live a perfect life. But then, instead of just living a perfect life and leaving, he gave his life for us by going to the cross and dying on the cross for us so that we could know God again and walk with God and not only have a hope for this life but a hope for eternity forever with him this is the hope that we have this is the story we live in will you walk with wisdom in that story avoiding foolishness and seeking God's will and next week You'll have to come back. We'll look at being filled with the Spirit in more detail. I promise. Lord willing. I'm not saying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you don't leave us or forsake us, but you do challenge us to walk with wisdom, to live skillfully. And that's not the skills of making more money or getting more power or having more of our desires met. But it's living skillfully in your world, recognizing your love for us, walking in your grace, avoiding the foolishness of doing things and not thinking about it, but instead living carefully, considering all the ways that you have blessed us and walking in your grace. Help us to do that. Help us not to be foolish, but to walk in wisdom.
In your son's name we pray. Amen.